It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And I appreciate patrons to the program like Luella, Timbo, Richard, Bill, Robin, Andy, Billy, Lou, Grant, and Ashley. They became patrons of the program. You can as well. Just go to the PeteCallenderShow.com. Click on the uh, link that's at the top there. It says exclusive content for patrons. And then you become a patron. And you get the exclusive content. That's how that works. You can also go uh, to the PeteCallenderShow.com, click subscribe, and that's where uh, all of the links to all of your favorite and maybe not so favorite podcasting platforms exist, and you can subscribe. It's very, very easy to do. Uh, All right, so the North Carolina General Assembly is uh, now moving forward with this bill called the Save Women's Sports Act. I've covered this a couple of, well, probably about two weeks ago or so. Uh, We talked to uh, some people who were supporting the bill, but now it's gone into uh, the Judiciary Committee. There was a a hearing, a public comment period. So I've got audio from uh, that. Um, The coverage of this, let me just read some of the headlines here. This is the kind of headline you will see in the uh, sort of in in the more left wing publications like Indie Week, for example, North Carolina bill targeting transgender athletes receives hearing targeting the athletes. Uh, Q notes says bill targeting transgender athletes for exclusion receives a hearing. Right. So note the. The framing of that. Uh, Let's see here. This is WUNC Public Radio, North Carolina's anti-trans athletes bill is debated at House hearing. And then you have some of the more I will give credit here to McClatchy, the Charlotte Observer. They did two different stories on it, or maybe it was an updated headline or something. But uh, they said North Carolina bill would ban transgender girls from women's sports. And I'd say that's fairly accurate. Uh, Parents and female athletes speak for and against HB 358. Accurate. Uh, Then the Durham Herald Sun, uh, their headline was, and that's also a McClatchy publication, athletes, parents make their case as NC debates banning transgender girls from teams. Mm, That's not entirely accurate. That's a little misleading. I mean, yes, they are banning them from teams, but they're banning them from you know, teams that they're not, you know, biologically of the same sex. Uh, WITN TV, their headline was NC lawmakers discuss House bill on student athletes gender identity. Okay, so there's sort of the spectrum, you know, um, of the headlines, the more left wing publications like Public Radio and Indie Week and Q Notes. They're like they're targeting these people right to it for exclusion and all of this. However, Proponents of this bill say it is about fairness and they're actually trying to protect women and girls who want to play sports. And that really is the question at the heart of this particular debate over transgender access, transgender rights and how they are being uh, recognized in society. Right. What is fair? What's so first off, what is fairness? Let's define fair. Right. Merriam-Webster's dictionary, which when they're not, you know, going woke and changing all of the uh, definitions uh, to uh, to placate the left wing mob. uh, Fair is defined as marked by impartiality and honesty, 
free from self-interest, prejudice, or favoritism. Another definition, that's definition A. Then there's B, B1, conforming with the established rules, in other words, allowed, uh, or B2, consonant with merit or importance, like a fair share, for example. Uh, open And then finally, C is open to legitimate pursuit, attack, or ridicule, i.e. fair game. So they're fair game. All right. So I would submit that the, uh, the definition here of fair is subjective. You know, when you're saying conforming with the established rules, but then you start changing the rules, right? Now that becomes more of a subjective thing. So uh, when it was, you know, girls play on girls teams and boys play on boys teams, and there was a common understanding of what girl and boy was defined as, then yes, fair meant conforming with those rules. But when you start redefining what boy and girl mean, then those rules don't really apply anymore. So conforming to those rules it, it it it's not relevant anymore because all of the rules we're now in Calvin Ball territory. This is postmodernism, by the way, folks. That's what this is all postmodernism, and uh, that's why it seems like it, that there's no logic to a lot of this stuff. It's because that's what postmodernism is. It's illogical. All right, uh, we need to acknowledge that fairness for biological girls and women, and fairness for transgender girls and women are in conflict. This subjective. Uh, a concept, this definition of what is and isn't fair, they're in conflict for biological versus transgender girls and women. Barring creation of a new league or you know new scholarships or something, these two populations are competing for limited supplies of spots on teams, college scholarships, professional opportunities. That's what's at stake here. Now, folks that are, you know, in the transgender activism and the community, right? They would say, no, we're not. We're girls too. However, biological women would submit, no, you're not. You're transgender girls. You are male bodies that are taking all sorts of, you know, hormones and uh, various treatments and such in order to mimic female bodies. But you are not female bodies. Physiologically, you're not a female body, which I always thought was sort of a point of mutual understanding. That like your brain is telling you that the body you're in is not the correct body that your brain thinks it should be in, right? Which is an admission that the bodies are different, right? Um, anyway, let's get to some of the audio. The um, the effects of testosterone suppressing drugs. Okay, this is one of the concepts that we hear discussed and debated in uh, this argument. I went over this a couple of weeks ago when the bill was first introduced. I did some of the counter arguments uh, that exist. And there's this uh, argument that is, you know, you don't uh, see the kinds of uh, performance um, well, disparities because a lot of the well, in the professional sense, in the collegiate level, you're right, you have to be taking these hormone suppression drugs. So you don't really see these kinds of, you know, huge disparate impacts. OK, so what about the effects of these drugs, these cross sex hormones? After a year or more of taking these drugs, wouldn't that make the biological males more comparable uh, to the biological females? And science says the opposite. Science says the opposite. That's Dr. Greg Brown, professor of exercise science at University of Nebraska at Kearney. We have eons of human experience and countless thousands of research studies that show that there are biological differences between human males, boys and men, and human females, girls and women. 
These biological differences confer inherent athletic advantages to boys and men. Briefly summarized, boys and men are taller, weigh more, have more muscle mass, have less fat mass, and are bigger, faster, and stronger than comparably aged and trained girls and women. If we compare the performance in the same events, boys and men run 10 to 15% faster than girls and women. They jump 15 to 20% higher and longer than girls and women. They can lift 30 to 60% more weight than comparably aged and trained girls and women. So that's Dr. Greg Brown, as I mentioned, and he testified uh, on behalf of the bill sponsors at this Judiciary Committee. Uh, we will hear from Dr. Dina Adkins. She is a, pediatri- a pediatric endocrinologist at Duke Health's Child and Adolescent Care Clinic. Okay, and uh, she has worked with more than 400 transgender youth. We'll hear from her in a minute. First, let me tell you about Mattress Man. Okay, proud sponsor of the program, and I'm very proud to have them as that. Uh, And I'm I'm humbled by the fact that they would let me be their ambassador for their company. They do great work in the community. They donate lots of uh, mattresses to various charitable organizations, and they have a great deal going on right now. It is, uh, I call it a free upgrade a king for the price of a queen, and a queen for the price of a twin, okay? It's a free upgrade from Mattress Man, the exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection made by Restonic right here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, They've got four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden, including their brand new location on Airport Road. It's in the IHOP Shopping Center. Go check it out there or uh, go to their website, mattressmanstores.com. You get free local five-star delivery service, a 120-day comfort guarantee, and they ship nationwide. And also, remember, take advantage of their tax refund deal, no credit needed, and so you get your you know, tax refund and you use it to buy your mattress, but you could be sleeping in the mattress before you even get the refund. They also have tons of flexible financing options like no interest for two years. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. The North Carolina House Judiciary Committee held a hearing on the Save Women's Sports Act. And it's House Bill 358. It would uh, limit participation in girls and women's athletic teams to biological females. Uh, So transgender females would not be able to be on biological female teams, girls teams. Okay. And so there was this hearing. Dr. Dina Atkins from Duke Health says she's worked with more than 400 transgender youth since she opened her clinic uh, in 2015. A number of assumptions about this uh, transgender bill um, uh, are made about our youth and sports are inaccurate because they uh, come from a fundamental misunderstanding of who transgender people are and how they transition and now and how that impacts their biology. HB uh, 358 also cites studies of transgender people that rely on data from more than two decades ago when the understanding of the science of gender transition was very different. Today, many transgender young people elect to begin a course of hormone-blocking treatment that forestalls uh, puberty. This eases their gender transition by preventing development of many of the secondary sex characteristics associated with the gender that they were assigned at birth, including things such as height, muscle, uh, mass, and bone density. Everyone's body is different, and we have no evidence that the average transgender girl is any bigger, stronger, or faster than other uh, girls. 
transgender athletes undergoing hormone therapy are doing uh, so as a part of a medical treatment uh, that's under strict supervision of a physician like any other athlete um, with a medical condition would do. So this is the, uh, the key component here is that by giving the kids the hormone blockers, puberty blockers, right? All of these things meant to suppress the natural development of their bodies. If you do this young enough, then they lose any of these advantages that they might have. That's the argument being advanced. Dr. Atkins says there are great benefits for transgender athletes when they play sports. Transgender children experience high rates of depression, anxiety, and uh, are not not only does participation in athletics and support and a supportive environment help their mental and physical health, but um, helps uh, keep them from feeling like outcasts by their community, increases, which increases negative feelings when this occurs and they're banned from their sport. We are already hearing from patients who are deeply concerned by this and are afraid. Uh, only she goes on to say that only one to three percent of the total population uh, is transgender, and so they can't take over every sport at every school because there just aren't enough people. Right? There aren't enough in the population. Um, although I'm sure that's little solace to to folks who would be one, you know, trying to participate in one of the sports that they you know, are able to, they may not be able to take over every sport, but they could take over some, right? Or one. And if that's the one you wanted to play, uh, oh, well. Evie Edwards is a multinational and world master cycling medalist in multiple disciplines, she says. And uh, she testified on behalf of the bill of the sponsors, right? She's competed in cycling competitions, um, events for, uh, and, and events for more than a decade, she said. She ran track in high school and in college. I'm also a lifetime Democrat. I believe in pro-choice and I believe love is love and same-sex marriage should be um, upheld. I was an athlete at the UCI World's Masters track event in Los Angeles, California, where a male was celebrated for a new female record and awarded first place in their event for two years in a row. The second place athlete in that event had bested me for gold in my event. I earned the silver medal. Transgender inclusion has been creating discord among women for years in sports, and this is not a hypothetical situation. Male bodies are taking the place of women's bodies. Female athletes have been robbed of the hard work and effort they've sacrificed their time, energy, finances, and talent toward. It's not fair play. It's not ethical. Women, women and men who desire sport classification by sex are being silenced and bullied. I've been bullied by pro-transgender groups for my opinions, and I've had team affiliations and sponsorship threatened. Which is interesting because part of the reason for you know, accepting as uh, you know equals and normal and all of that to say, you know, trans girls are girls and to accept all of these principles that are being advanced very quickly, I would point out um, to accept these things. Uh, if you don't do so, it is described as bullying. Right. And and doing so for society to adopt these new norms is meant to reduce the bullying of transgender people. And in order to uh, change the norms, I guess we need to bully people <laughs> first. Uh, Edwards. So really what she's describing is, again, what is fair. And she made two arguments. When scholarship opportunities are available to transgender women, there is a female who will not be able to take advantage of the opportunity Title IX helped to insure for her, insured because of her biological sex, not gender expression. 
As an elite female runner and then cyclist, I've raced and trained with men for most of my life. But biologically, we are very different. Um, the men I've competed against and trained with haven't had to worry about the negative female impacts of typical puberty in sport, such as weight gain, hip widening, and a higher incidence of injury. Nor have they had to worry about a monthly menstrual cycle or breastfeeding a child while competing, or threat of a full body shift in hormones with menopause. USA Cycling Masters women cannot even replace the hormones that they were born with and lose with age, yet a transgender athlete is regulated and medically altered to conform in the most ideal way as they age. Biological women who deal with anxiety, hormone imbalance, and emotional distress cannot replace their natural hormones, yet a medically altered male is allowed to compete with them using a medical cocktail created just for them. It's not fair play for girls in middle school, high school. It's not fair play at the collegiate level nor as women age through their athletic careers. So th this was interesting. I had not heard of this, right? You got the first aspect of the fairness argument, depriving a girl of, you know, getting a scholarship, that's sort of getting onto a team. Um, trans supporters say the trans girl is a girl, so it's not a deprivation. It's That is fair because they're both girls. And they would argue that this is actually just a way that cisgender people, as you know, non-trans people are defined now, cisgender is the term, uh, that they're just denying the existence of transgender people. Okay, so that's, that's, I've heard that argument before. But the second argument I found to be pretty compelling, that the erosion of hormones as we age creates an inherent disadvantage for biological females, whereas a trans woman gets to maintain all of those hormone levels. There's a generation of women who will not have the same opportunities that I had with my, my own biological class. And those of us who've been in sport our entire lives know how nuanced this argument is and how it's not fair play for women. We know women are underrepresented in sport. We look forward to competing with full fields of biological women at national and world events. If we're forced to compete against males at the local and regional level, those opportunities and females will disappear. Now, if you are interested in getting some uh, some of your pain to disappear, you're interested in getting uh, a good night's sleep, I can tell you I have tried CBD from Growers Hemp, and I've never slept through the night like I sleep when I have the full-spectrum hemp extract from Growers Hemp coursing through my veins um and uh it, maybe it's a sleep performance enhancement drug i'm i wouldn't call it i wouldn't call it blood doping <laughs> but i take it <laughs> all right i take it and then i go to bed and i sleep through the night and when i don't take it i know and this has been the way like my entire life actually i've always had problems sleeping through the night because my mind just starts going and starts racing and i'm i wake up like after three or four hours i stay awake for like 20 or 30 minutes and then i fall back asleep and that usually happens once or twice a night uh growers hemp full spectrum hemp extract i don't have that problem uh so go check out the website growershemp.com use my name pete and you'll get 20 percent off at checkout growers hemp Dot com. These are North Carolina farmers. They were growing the uh, the hemp, uh, uh, you know, commodity, and then they were like, "Let's control the whole process from seed to shelf. You get better quality, better pricing, uh, and you're supporting North Carolina uh, family farms." As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer: GovCo requires. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I've said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your health care provider. So consult your health care professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. They've got drops. They've got topicals like balms and salves. Go to the website, growershemp.com. Use my name, Pete. Get 20% off from North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. The Save Women's Sports Act, House Bill 358, got a hearing at the Senate Judiciary, or sorry, the House Judiciary Committee um, in the North Carolina General Assembly. The Save Women's Sports Act uh, prevents biological males trans- who are transitioning to become women prevents them from getting onto uh, teams, athletic teams in middle school, high school, and college. So it restricts their access, okay? And at this public hearing, Asher McKinney Ring from Asheville um, posed uh, what is a, I would say this is the most challenging question. It's also a question that came up out of a Texas case of a wrestler there. So listen to this. I've known that I've been transgender since I was 11, and since then I've been constantly fighting just to be respected and seen for who I am. For most of my life, I've participated in one sport or another. I'm currently on my school's track and field team as a thrower. And as a trans person, being able to participate and have my practice pay off has been incredibly difficult. Since I play through an independent school, I'm already forced to compete as my birth assigned gender with the girls. This has caused me to constantly battle with the feeling that I do not belong anywhere in my sport. When being forced to play with the girls, the confused stares and the questions like, are you, shipper, are you sure you're supposed to be here, coming from both the players and adults, makes the sport that has given me so much happiness feel like a dangerous place where I am fully alone. This bill would make that reality for every young transgender athlete in North Carolina. Words cannot explain how painful and exhausting it is to wake up every morning knowing that my rights to normal childhood experiences like school sports are being debated by elected officials that I've never met and that my existence and identity are not protected by law. We are not a threat. We are children. And we just want to experience life normally like the rest of our classmates. Okay, so a couple of things. Number one, notice the use of the dangerous place. He's describing the the track meets and this is now a quote dangerous place but he says we're not a threat we're just children well which is it (laughs) do you think Uh, so it's a dangerous place at the track and field competition or maybe he's saying that the adults are going to come and attack him or something i'm not sure um but this it raises a compelling question which is when you say biological girls play on girls teams what does it do to that competition right now you have a biological girl who's taking hormones and they're playing against biological girls should that person be competing against girls or would they be on performance enhancing drugs if you're taking testosterone and estrogen suppression treatments right wouldn't that give you also an unfair advantage over girls as well because while the bill only says biological males on girls teams it doesn't say girls transitioning to male on girls teams does that make sense this is this is a tricky question this was the same story um out out of texas i forget the wrestler's name um but you know born a female transitioning to male wants to wrestle the boys but can't 
because of the laws and so has to wrestle on the girl teams and is beating all of the girls. Leslie Cohen from Wilmington. She then spoke a little bit later. She has two transgender children, she said, who are uh, now adults. And uh, she told a story about her childhood friend, Cindy. Cindy and I shared a passion for fairness and justice and more than once got into trouble speaking up against teachers and parents and other adults. Cindy was very different from me, though. Cindy was an athlete. I was always the smallest, the slowest, the weakest. I was fiercely competitive, but I wasn't good at anything. Cindy was good at everything. She was fast, she was strong, she was quick. And when we competed on a team, Cindy's team usually won. She was chosen first and I was chosen last. And when we competed one-on-one, she beat all the girls and sometimes all the boys. And there were parents, this was almost 50 years ago, more than once I heard parents say that it wasn't fair for Cindy to compete with us. I heard school people, uh, teachers agree with them. It wasn't because Cindy was transgender, it's because Cindy was black. Okay, so 50 years ago, she's talking about like the 70s, the 80s, I guess in Wilmington, I, I assume. Um, this, this can be a compelling and powerful analogy, though, right? Segregation based on genetic differences is rejected now as, you know, unethical, grotesque racism. And by linking these two examples, she's equating her opponents with racial segregationists, which Generally speaking, people don't appreciate. They don't like being referred to as segregationist racists, right? But her story began with this sort of boast, this humble brag kind of thing where she and her friend, you know, shared a passion for fairness and justice, right? Who who, who, who speaks like that, especially 50 years ago, right? Who, who shared a passion for fairness and justice, and that the two girls got into trouble for speaking up against parents and teachers and the like. There is a performative aspect to this debate, too, okay, which is not to minimize the compelling nature of the comparison to racial discrimination, but it does provide a glimpse into an area of this debate that is rarely mentioned. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. First, I need to mention Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. They get homes sold quickly and for more money. This is what they do. Let them do it for you. Call her at 333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. Website, mountainhomehunt.com. She's the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. Uh, It's a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees. And she's given back $800,000 to folks in those five professions. So call the only agent that I called, Rowena Patton, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call and then start packing. So um, this area of the transgender debate that is rarely mentioned, even, you know, more rarely examined, the role of parents, 
specifically, does a parent's passion for justice, shall we say, influence the child's development of what is called a TIV mentality? TIV. You know what TIV is? I've talked about this before in the past. Uh, This is the tendency for interpersonal victimhood. It's a personality construct, okay, where one persistently sees oneself as victim of interpersonal conflicts, okay? But it also translates onto the societal level as well. Studies link TIV, this tendency for interpersonal victimhood, studies link TIV to anxious attachment. That's a kind of uh, personality construct, anxious attachment, okay, Um, or insecurity in relationships. This personality construct is rooted in the relationship that one has with their caregivers. That's where it starts. An insecure relationship that you have with your caregivers. This creates this anxious attachment. According to an article at Scientific American about the research, based on clinical observations and research, the researchers found that the tendency for interpersonal victimhood consists of four main dimensions. For, so these are the four. A, constantly seeking recognition for one's victimhood. B, moral elitism. C, lack of empathy for the pain and suffering of others, which I would submit manifests itself in the form of bullying people who disagree with you, right? Um, And D, frequently ruminating about past victimization. What's more, these feelings of victimization become generalized across many kinds of relationships. And so as a result, victimization becomes a central part of the person's identity. It's, It's who they are. It's their core identity. People then begin to live their life uh, as if it's controlled by outside forces, whether it's, you know, fate or luck or other people or, you know, society, norms, institutional whateverisms. Scientific American actually has a test, a test used to identify TIV. Do you want to you can take it here? I'll give you the uh, four questions. Uh, So you're going to rate how much you agree with each of these items on a scale of one to five. One is not me at all. And five is this is so me. Okay. So five is this is you. One is that's not me. So here's so first question. Is it important to me that people who hurt me acknowledge that an injustice has been done to me? Is that important to you? One, not me at all. Five. Yeah, that's me. Two, I think I am much more conscientious or moral in my relations with other people compared to their treatment of me. When people are close to me, feel hurt by my actions, it's very important for me to clarify that justice is on my side. And the final question, it is very hard for me to stop thinking about the injustice others have done to me. So those four questions. Now, if you it's not it's not important what your individual scores were. If you scored high on all of these items, you may have what the psychologists have identified as a TIV, a tendency for interpersonal victimhood. Why is all of this important? I will tell you in a second. First, it is important that you get over to Old Grouch's military surplus, especially if you do any kind of outdoor activity like hiking or camping or fishing or anything like that. You need to get yourself an emergency preparedness kit, but also tons of real U.S. military surplus, all sorts of gear for your outdoor activities, Uh, you know, from uh, jackets and shirts and hats and all sorts of equipment 
equipment like that. Uh, also, backpacks, ammo cans for storage. This is a great storage solution for your shed or vehicle. Um, he also gets in shipments of various things, like in the past, razor wire, masks, and uh, body armor. So go check out Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde on Main Street. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. The House Judiciary Committee in North Carolina's General Assembly held a uh, hearing on House Bill 358, the Save Women's Sports Act. And uh, some of the comments from the public got me thinking it it tripped this sort of memory that I have of the TIV, Tendency for Interpersonal Victimhood, uh, personality construct. And what does this have to do? So uh, with the Save Women's Sports and transgender activism and such. Well, I am uh, like... I am interested to know if there are shifting societal norms that are influencing uh, the rise of transgenderism. And it is on the rise. Now, I don't know why that is. It could be just more people are able to identify openly as such. So we're more aware of it now, right? That could be the case. But is it possible that there's some connection between parents with high TIV scores and the way that their children relate to them? Because The studies have linked TIV, this tendency for interpersonal victimhood, uh, to anxious attachment or insecurity in relationships, and that construct is rooted in the relationship that one has with their caregivers. So is there some connection there? I don't know. I'm not asserting there is. But I wonder, because when I listen to some of... Well, here, you can take a listen for yourself and tell me if you hear any of this kind of coming through. I'm a resident here in Raleigh. I'm a trans man myself, and I also have an 11-year-old daughter who happens to be trans. Um, The the comments that I wanted to make, actually, I wanted to speak a little bit to the aspect of fairness, that we keep talking about what would be fair in sports and what would be fair for girls competing against other girls. And I I find that I think my right and my daughter's right and the right of transgender people everywhere to be recognized as ourselves in our lives, it's not fair for me not to have that. And it's not fair for her not to have that. And I feel like that might be a bigger issue of fairness than somebody else's right to fairness in middle school soccer. I feel like it might be a bigger deal. I don't think it's fair for an 11-year-old to have to come here and speak to you all about her right to privacy and her right to be on a team with her peers. When she is competing, she tries very hard. She does not have any advantage over the other girls on her team. This is not an issue for trans girls. This bill This bill is based on fear. This bill, you need to be educated around trans youth and trans girls. All right, so here's another question then, as long as we're in pursuit of education, might this be an example, uh, the latest incarnation of the sexualization of children in our culture, right? What's going on uh, that now so many people are transing? Is it because it's more socially acceptable than it used to be? So now we just know that there are more transgender people. Is there a peer pressure element, specifically and particularly the rapid onset gender dysphoria that somehow or another afflicts uh, you know, little cohorts of, of girlfriends? 
it's kind of an odd phenomenon, right? Is it due to advances in medical treatments that now allow for more complete efforts to transition, whereas that was never really available, uh, you know, throughout history? Okay. Um, there was another line of argument during the hearing uh, that this isn't a big issue. You heard a little bit of it, there, of it there. Dr. Atkins from Duke Health argued that trans people only represent, you know, one to three percent of the total population. So they can't take over every sport at every school. Elite athletes make up an extremely small percentage of people. You add transgender to that, it's even tinier. So I, I would love to see this bizarre universe where we have all these dudes trying out for girls' sports because they think they can kick a girl's ass. I just don't get it. House Bill 358 is not necessary. And like all kids who like to be active, I have the right to play. This issue of transgender girls playing sports on an all-girls team is just not an issue. There are no lawsuits in North Carolina on this issue. In fact, the North Carolina High School Association, as another, um, another parent stated, their policy, they allow participation for all students. It's free of discrimination. They're on board. They get it. They know. Students, it's for everyone. Our state, our, the public school board, just recently created a new policy that trans students are able to put the name that they identify with on the school records. Our state is moving in the right direction. We are supporting trans youth. They get it. They know this is important. Okay, so th that's actually the point, though. What she's—I don't think she realizes this. You have a very rapid movement towards a completely new societal standard and a reimagining of norms that have existed for millennia. So the speed at which this is occurring is, of course, going to create conflict. Identities don't play sports; bodies do, and there is a reality that we are all aware of that there is a physiological, physical, anatomical difference between male bodies and female bodies. And that difference has long been recognized and it was the basis between, it was the line which we used to determine who could compete in one sport. Title IX was designed to stop discrimination and create equal athletic opportunities for women. Allowing males to compete in women's sports reverses almost 50 years of advances for women and undermines the very intent of Title IX. We find this unacceptable and we stand with the 76% of North Carolinians, that's three-fourths of the people in our state, who believe that biological males should not be allowed to compete in women's sports. Pretend that there are no biological or physiological differences between girls and boys and men and women is simply ignoring science and the truth. Even the NCAA recognizes this and prohibits biological males from competing on women's sports teams unless either the team is changed to co-ed or mixed team status or the biological male has completed at least one year of testosterone suppression treatment. Although not always acknowledged, objective truth remains constant in every generation. And it is not an attack on any group when we differentiate accordingly. In fact, 
fairness requires that we do so. And there was also an argument brought up by one of the speakers that I had actually not ever heard or considered before. I think it's an interesting angle to this debate, uh, and it has to do with the movement that we're seeing in college athletics to pay students for being athletes. The The physiologically weaker sex will lose the ability to compete on an equal playing field. How do we know that this will happen? Not only because it has already happened, but because the financial incentives to do so are only going to grow. As the NCAA fades into oblivion, as college athletes soon will be able to be compensated for their competition, the incentive for male bodies to compete as females will grow because not only can you financially benefit from a college scholarship that you could not earn competing as a male, but you can profit otherwise from competing as a female, though you are biologically male. This is certain to happen. I kind of agree that that's certain to happen because as you increase the the incentive, then you're going to have more people try to take advantage of it, no? Now, speaking of taking advantage, um, you need to take advantage of general equipment rentals deals. They've got uh, obviously great deals on equipment and tool rentals, no matter the size of the job that you're trying to get done. General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com is their website. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, uh, they've got you covered. Whatever the tool is, whatever the project is, they're going to show you how to use the tool as well. So, you know, you're working around the house, you got a big project, you know you need a tool, but you don't have it, you don't want to buy it because it's like a one-time project. Just go down to General Equipment Rental, they'll show you how to use it, they'll equip you, they'll outfit you, and then you go out and you do the job, you bring it back. Um, But they're also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Okay, they also do equipment service and repair, by the way. Um, But what this means is they know all the details about all of the models that Husqvarna and Honda produce. They know the differences from year to year, model to model. They also know of all the great deals. Okay, time's running out, by the way, uh, on the... Uh, this deal where you can get up to $3,500 in savings when you combine two deals that Husqvarna is offering. These are the deals that, uh, you know, when you're a specialist like General Equipment Rental is, uh, you find out about these deals, you know about these deals, and you know how to combine uh, what deals together to get the maximum discount of $3,500 for these stand-on mowers, the V548 or V554 stand-on mower. Uh, Go check them out, generalrents.com. Uh, Also, you can walk into their showroom. It's at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. They're family-owned and operated, have been for three generations. Great people over there. Tell them you heard it here on the podcast, on the show. I appreciate that. Patronize the businesses that uh, support the program you like to listen to. So thanks so much, General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. So, all right, the last uh, audio clip I have here is from Charlie Ray. And she's a writer, lives in Raleigh, and uh, we actually had her on the show a few weeks back. I support the Save Women's Sports Act as a former athlete and a woman who suffered from gender dysphoria when I was a child. Within the measurement of history, it wasn't long ago that women didn't have their own sports teams and leagues. And for in this way and many others were refused participation in their society. That is why sex segregation exists. I would like you to imagine a situation in North Carolina. There are two teams at a local university, one meant for women and one meant for men. The university switches their policy to allow men who identify as women onto the women's team, and from that moment forward, a man claiming to be a woman is legally considered the same as being one. 
One day you realize that every single person on either team is a biological male. But on the team meant for women, they are all males who claim to be females. The women at that university would not be able to use Title IX to claim that discrimination is taking place, as the discrimination would no longer legally exist. I would like to repeat that. The discrimination would no longer legally exist. Women would not be able to claim that they are being discriminated against on the basis of sex, which is the point of Title IX. As someone who grew up with gender dysphoria, I will tell you that I know kids need participation in sports, and I needed participation in sports as a female. And if I had competed against males, I would not have won the over dozen gold medals that I won in Taekwondo, because I would have lost. Now, this bill is still in committee, and I should point out that this is one of several bills, just like it, that have been introduced all across America, what appears to me at least to be an organized campaign right, to run this legislation in legislatures all over this, uh, uh, the nation. And I would guess it has the benefit, if not the intended purpose, to disperse any kind of targeted response, right? If it's one state like North Carolina doing the bathroom bill, and we were the only state, it allowed all of these resources to be devoted uh, onto one state, and the pressure was immense. But if you have it in 30 states, now you're trying to distribute all of that uh, those resources, right? How do you how do you get all of your you know your shock troops to focus their fire on 30 different states uh, instead of just one? It's a much more difficult task, just from a you know community organizing perspective. Now, there's also another bill in the North Carolina legislature that would limit, if not outright ban, the use of hormone blockers and all of this stuff for uh, kids before puberty, before they turn, I think, 18 or 21. And uh, so it's very easy to see that these two things are working together. These two proposals work together, right? One that says you can't take any of these uh, types of hormone treatments at all. And then the other one is you can't compete on the girls' teams, And so it's directing an outcome, right? And so while there are two separate bills, they are in service to the same uh, goal, I would submit. All right, let me get to another story here real quick uh, before the end of the program, which is a fellow by the name of Jason Nguyen. He uh, is a reporter, uh, award-winning reporter and photojournalist who is at ABC4 News in Salt Lake City. Good morning, Utah. Jason brings over a decade of news experience to the team. He started his career in Toledo, Ohio, moved on to Fort Myers, Florida, then went to Cleveland, Ohio, then went to Salt Lake City, um, and then he went to Portland, Oregon, and then he moved back to Salt Lake City. <clears throat> okay, I think that I think there's a, a bit of information there. The only reason I ran through that was because I think there's one part there that's key, which was his stint in Portland. So he's back in Salt Lake City doing the morning show. He's a reporter guy, and uh, he covered a story, and he promoted this story on Twitter. Now, his bio that I just read to you, you cannot find it at the ABC4.com news website because it's been taken down. His bio page got taken down after he sent out a tweet that said the following, quote, a Utah paramedic donated to the defense fund of Kyle Rittenhouse. It was first reported in The Guardian this morning. Rittenhouse is accused of killing two protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I tried to get the paramedics side of things. See the story tonight at 10 p.m. on ABC4 Utah. 
So remember who Kyle Rittenhouse is? He is the the kid who went to Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was from you know neighboring Illinois. He showed up there to you know he claimed to protect property and such, and uh, he was then being. Uh, uh, chased around by like a lunatic that he eventually shot and killed. And then another person who pulled a gun on him, he shot that person, fled and ran, uh, ran towards the cops. Remember, this is the kid with the AR 15 that, uh, you know, he's now been charged with homicide. So here's the story. So the story is not about Rittenhouse per se. The story is about who donated money to his defense because Get this. This is the story at Utah's ABC4 store uh, uh, website. A data breach at a crowdfunding website. A data breach. So somebody, somebody hacked right the the donor page for what GoFundMe or whatever it was, and they took the list of all the donors, and now they're they gave it to the Guardian in the UK that publishes the names of the people who donated money to his defense, and. Like, I'm sure Facebook is all over this and Twitter as well, right? For the same reason that they they blocked the New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh, I'm sure they're all over this story, banning anybody sharing the Guardian story, right? Because after all, it came from information that was not legally obtained. And that's what Facebook and Twitter are all against. So a data breach at a crowdfunding website shows a paramedic from Utah donated to Kyle Rittenhouse's defense fund. The Guardian first reported that Friday morning, Craig Shepard, a Utah paramedic, donated to the fund for Kyle Rittenhouse. And The Guardian reports that this donor gave $10. Got a typo? Wait, no, it's $10. He gave $10. Sent 10 bucks to the defense fund of Kyle Rittenhouse. That was five days after police say Rittenhouse shot the two protesters. Uh, I would point out that Jason Nguyen conveniently leaves out the part of the self-defense. That's how, that's why Kyle Rittenhouse shot the two men was in self-defense, one of which is clearly on video, the actual shooting itself. And then the other and oh, and by the way, uh, the uh, the guy who got shot in the arm as he drew the gun on Rittenhouse. Right. Um, that guy went to the hospital. They saved his arm and his friend shows up. And they take a picture together and his friend sends it out on Twitter and says that, uh, oh, yeah, my buddy's only regret was that he didn't uh, he didn't shoot Rittenhouse, thereby you know, proving the point <laughs> that he had drawn the weapon on Rittenhouse. And that's why Rittenhouse fired um, the first guy that chased Rittenhouse all over the place, the lunatic that was screaming and yelling at people and picking fights with people and. Uh, tried to throw away. Oh, well, they they pushed a dumpster down towards a building, a dumpster that was on fire, and Rittenhouse uh, uh, used a fire extinguisher to blow it out. And um, and then he was being chased around, and the guy cornered him in a uh, in between a couple of cars. So yeah, he was being pursued by this lunatic, who at one point then tried to. I think he threw. Um, it was like a plastic bag, and there was like gasoline or something in a container in the bag or something like that. Uh, it was on fire too. So yeah. That's his defense. He was that he fired in self-defense. That's left out. All of that is left out. All the context is left out. All that matters is, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse charged with two homicides, I would argue, as a politically motivated charging by the D.A. up there in Kenosha. Uh, But regardless, uh, he is charged with these two crimes. And uh, there are people that believe he acted in self-defense. And so they are funding his defense. 
Rittenhouse is captured on video running through the streets with a high-powered rifle with and with his hands up as police move past him. Well, that was when he tried to surrender, because that's what all criminals do, you see. You try to surrender. No, he went... He, he kept running towards the cops, putting his hands up, and they didn't realize what he was doing, and they went, they blew right past him, okay? ABC4 News investigator Jason Nguyen went to Craig Shepard's home. This is the paramedic that gave 10 bucks. Goes to the home to get his side of things, but those inside the home did not want to talk. What side is there here? He, he obviously believes Rittenhouse acted in self-defense. He gave 10 bucks, but he used his official email as a paramedic we can confirm that uh, craig shepherd is an employee of the west valley city fire department and he may have been aware of uh, uh we have become aware of a donation made using his government email account we're conducting an investigation into this matter however such a donation would be representative of personal actions and not those of west valley city right of course not he just used a website or he just used an email address to register for a website this has got nothing to do with any kind of government action. This is, see, here's the first test of any journalism attempt that people should make. Is it newsworthy, right? Who cares about this story? So who should care? Well, uh, what's his name? Jason Nguyen cares. Jason Nguyen. And Jason says, well, the point is that he shouldn't use his government email. No, it's not. That's not the point. He can make any donation he wants to. He can use any email he wants to. There's no violation here. He says he can donate uh, privately, um, but he couldn't. He shouldn't use his government email. Th- that's not a standard, buddy. Right? This shows the bias of Jason Nguyen, the reporter, and the news staff that all sit around and saw nothing wrong with essentially doxing a guy. Right? That's what they're doing. They went and took information that was hacked. They localized the story by finding the one guy in their geographic area. And then go to confront him. Why did you give this money? He gave the money because obviously he thought the guy acted in self-defense. Do you think that's an opinion shared by others? So why is that newsworthy? That's a wrap for the episode. I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com to do so. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 